Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. of bringing design closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and I'm the founder of This Is HCD and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes providing training for people in the design and change making space. Now today in the show we have Rene Albrecht-Malinger, a lead design researcher at one of my favourite design studios, Global Goods Studio in Chicago. Now we chat about the intersectionality of Rene's previous career as a middle school and high school teacher and now as a design researcher primarily focused on the governmental and societal work that they do at Greater Good Studio. Now, what pieces Rene has felt that sets them up for success, so pulls across into the design research role that they have and set them up for success while working in complexity on a day-to-day basis. What comes out in the conversation was the formal education that Rene received as a teacher has better prepared her for handling potentially trauma-inducing situations whilst researching, something many, if any, design educators cover psychological safety when researching folks it's an important one this is a great conversation let's jump straight into it Rene Albrecht Malinger am I saying that right you sure I am I got it right the second time listen I'm delighted to welcome you to bring design closer um maybe start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do absolutely I am a lead design researcher at Greater Good Studio uh which means that I help to manage teams and learn from people uh, who are uh, at the center of the problems that groups are trying to solve. Uh, and at Greater Good, all of the problems that we are trying to solve are related to social impact. Nice. And for the eagle-eared uh, and eagle-eyed, should I say, listeners of Bringing Design Closer, and this is HCD, you might connect Greater Good Studio. We spoke recently to George A., and um, Rene works alongside George at Greater Good Studios. So um, I'm delighted to, to sort of continue the, the, the theme of Chicago Design Research, Greater Good Studio and George A into the podcast. So how long have you been working at Greater Good Studio? I started there uh, last summer, so a little bit over a year ago. And before that, and I guess the, the, the topic that we're going to be speaking about today is um, the intersectionality uh, on your previous career as a teacher um, where you taught middle school and high school and how that kind of intersects with your role as a design researcher or design research lead at a great or good studio. So tell us, um, what was it about teaching that got you into teaching in the first place? So I, um, I, absolutely never intended to become a teacher. Um, I 
went to college fully intending to become something like a lawyer. Um, <gasps> but, <laughs> Collective gasp from the audience. I know, I know. <laughs> the issue is that I love reading, which made the law seem like a great career. Um, yeah. But at the end of my time in college, uh, I got, I don't know, like drafted into teaching a music mm. theory course uh, yeah. and just loved it like really enjoyed mm. it felt like I was really good at it uh, so at yeah. the very last minute uh, pivoted found an alternative certification program and went to teach middle school and high school math uh, in Chicago right okay so you're teaching maths so I noticed I added an s at the end of the word maths <laughs> um, which is probably going to be contentious for some of the audience uh, how do we handle this one? Math and math. So I'll say yeah. maths, you say math. Um, so you, you did that for a number of years. You were talking there around um, middle school. So what's middle school to everyone else outside of America? What, what ages are those? So it's usually uh, like 11 to 14. Uh, so that's in the US, sixth through eighth grade. Uh, mm. And then high school is usually around 14 through 18. Uh, so okay. ninth through 12th grade. A huge developmental leap from an 11 year old to an 18 year old um yes. it probably 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 as many shifts as you'd see um in a child's or in, in a human's in life from 11 to 18 you're, they're going through so much um and you did how many years did you work as a teacher as a, as a sort of a middle school and a high school teacher so i was in education for eight years um wow and for the first Five years was full-time classroom teaching uh, for mm. the last three years. Uh, I had a couple of classes as like a sort of a staying clinical practice, but worked as an instructional coach. So like helping other teachers to improve their practice. Oh, okay. I'm starting to see a development here in terms of where you've, where you're currently at now. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think are the, the key attributes of a good teacher and how does that interrelate with um, a good design researcher? So I think there's a ton of overlap. Um, and yeah. I always say that honestly, being in a classroom is the closest thing that I've ever come to doing. Like the, the way that human-centered design it's supposed to happen. It's iterative, yeah. you're getting constant feedback, you know, like you're creating sensory exactly everything right mm. um but i think a good teacher has got to be a good listener they've got to be compassionate um they have to take a holistic approach to understanding the people that are in their care um and it involves a lot of creativity uh mm. which i think is something that we advance as as really really important in design, yeah. it's like creativity, innovation, being able to work within constraints, and a good teacher can yeah. do that. I'm, I'm going to zoom in on one of those key words that you just mentioned there, and it's care. And from speaking to a lot of teachers in in my life, just from connecting with the old teachers that I had as well, the best teachers I had in my life were the ones that cared, and they they went. And you felt supported and nurtured and um, re relatively safe in, in their presence. I, I think care 
in terms of design research and human-centered design is something that comes from a place of compassion. And I'm really interested to see you you use those two words interchangeably almost there around being a, an effective teacher and an effective researcher. Um, what other things do you think that the teaching discipline uh, or, or the design research discipline can pull from the, the, the teaching disciplines? I think there's so much. I, mm. I think, um, so when I was learning in, in my teacher training, yeah. um, we did a lot of work around qualitative research because that was the program that I was in. And okay. I can absolutely cite tons of examples of like a direct application between the two. Mm. But I actually don't think that that's the skill that I use most frequently from mm. my education background into my design research background. Um, I think as, as a teacher, uh, one of the things that you learn is sort of this constructivist mindset that like knowledge has to be made in the mind of the person who is learning. Right. Um, and you develop an appreciation of the amount of work that it takes to be a student. Um, and you learn to build environments and activities and rituals that support the amount of work that it takes for someone to engage in a vulnerable way with you. Um, and as a researcher, uh, you're frequently interfacing with people who are participating in research, who are, you know, informants, mm. participants, whatever you want to call them, that you're asking to step into a pretty vulnerable space and mm. construct knowledge with you. So you are, you're both sharing a moment in which they have to expose themselves and you have to be open to taking in what yeah. they are creating. And you it's are designing that experience. Absolutely. It's almost like you have to be able to tap into the different frequencies that these people are at to become a lot more effective as a as a listener and someone who's compassionate to be able to understand and just try and interpret at a very basic level what's going on. One thing that I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on is when you're training to become a teacher, um, is there a, a sort of a duty of care or, or process there that sort of teaches the, the, the want to, or the, the, the emerging teacher to handle um, complex situations? So working with children who are vulnerable and identifying these different um, things you need to be aware of as a teacher. Is that something that is taught or is that something that's just inherently learned at a sixth sense to be able to become aware that something might be off? I think you start out with, ideally, you start out with some learned knowledge around yeah. it. You know, you take, uh, I, I assume this is required for everybody, but I had to take, mm. um, you know, adolescent developmental psychology courses to understand how mm. young people's minds were developing and working. Um, and you do some study and work around, you know, the sorts of things that that kids are going through um, and mm. how to recognize uh, signs of distress and how to respond. Um, mm -hmm. 
sometimes that can be framed around things like behavior and uh, sometimes that can be framed around things like academics. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of it, you know, you learn these things in a classroom and then yeah. you go into your own classroom and you're confronted with the reality of the situation. And it never looks like it does in a textbook. Uh, yeah. I think for me, um, I mean, I, Eight years is a lot longer than a lot of people stay in classrooms mm. in the United States. And I barely scratched the surface of my own education, you know, like a good teacher. I learned so much from my students by being in those situations with them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's they they were the ones who were instructing me really more than my professors were. Which is a, a shift, I guess, um, you know from what the way I, I was kind of educated, there was a lot of kind of king and servant kind of models going on where like, I'm the knowledge maker, you hopefully you can have the attention to listen and absorb this, this wonderful goal that's dripping from my tongue. And it, was, <laughs> it, it, it definitely felt like that for, for some teachers, but the ones that were really kind of on it and got it, um, understood when some students were having an off day and, you know, some, some days, some kids were really receptive and were able to mix up their their style of play, and um, I know the the more modern and the front forward um, thinking teachers are the ones that when I see walking around, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, they're almost like long lost friends, um, and it's that different style. I, I think that you know, from a being a practitioner, you're able to respond to the room and be able to adapt your your style to kind of meet people where they're at. That's one of the things that, that that I'm hearing from you as well here when when you're when you're talking about those things. In terms of um, the the skills of being able to adapt as a teacher, okay. So when you're in a in a classroom with with kids who are eleven, how have you carried those kind of learnings into the practice of running sessions and running workshops, um, whatever it is you might might be doing on a day to day basis at Greater Good Studio? Planning. Honestly, I think you, you mentioned like 11 and I, so I taught every grade, uh, six to yeah. 12. So I taught, I taught 11 through 18. And sometimes I taught students who were 11 when they were mm. 11. And then I taught them again when they were 18. And I had at the same time, their siblings when they were 15. So, but I'm thinking particularly about that age group. And, um, I think two things that come up first are the importance of, uh, clarity uh mm -hmm. and and flexibility um tell me what you mean when, by clarity yeah so young young people in particular um especially when an adult is speaking to them they're going to take what you say literally mm. you know like coming in with like you have to say what you mean um you have to be gentle, you have to be kind, and you have to say what you mean, mm -hmm. um, because they're going to take what you say at face Repetitive. value. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that can mean everything from giving students written instructions on a worksheet to um, asking them a question about something that they didn't understand or getting to the heart of a, a troubling interaction that you saw in the classroom like you just have to be clear, straightforward and direct. Um, and I find that that's 
very similar when you're planning a workshop or you're interviewing somebody or you're participating in a co-design session. Just being clear is so much harder than it sounds. I know. It's so critical. It's it's also pretty good design principles. Um, And I think there are some of the principles from content design and some of the the stuff that uh, Sarah Winters has, has created. But um, I mean, that's really, it's interesting to hear that, that clarity as one. What was the second one that you, you mentioned there a second ago? Flexibility. Flexibility. Okay. So we we're talking about, you know, adaptability and flexibility. T- tell me what, what you understand that to mean in the context of, of teaching. I mean, it means everything. Like yeah. everything from, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm from Chicago. I taught in Chicago. Everything from yeah. um, there were there was a ton of snow, and in your first period class, you have two of your, you know, normally thirty five students. You had a plan. You got to throw yeah. that plan out the window because that's not going to work. You're still responsible for creating a positive experience for those two people. Yeah. But your original thirty five person plan, that's not going to work or there was a fire alarm, or somebody threw a sandwich across the room, you know, like, so there's that kind of flexibility, where it's like something unplanned that was outside of anyone's control happened. Um, And that can happen in a, in a research session as well, Mm. right? Especially now in in pandemic world, right? Someone's internet connection drops. Um, Someone's child starts throwing a fit, and now they have to go take care of their kid, we got to reschedule. Uh, the technology fails. Um, but then there's also, you know, I had this beautiful lesson plan worked out. I was so excited and proud of it and was going to really engage my students and they were going to just fall in love with math today. And they didn't. That happened more often than my intention, yeah. right? So being able to adapt as a researcher to the needs of the situation um and not being attached to my plan which is hard and the resilience to come back up and when you're knocked down and go go again and i can i can see a lot of similarities and a lot of crossover but in terms of the work that you do at greater good studio and the the research because you're primarily working in the social space and um governmental space as well um some of those attributes you talk about being flexible and being clear and direct, I can see straight away working with um, social issues and governmental clients, they would appreciate that stuff. Um, but in terms of the actual going down into the craft of doing design research and um, conducting sort of, say, evaluative or generative type, um, you know, research that you're doing on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis, what, what are the attributes and lesser in the skills, but more the attributes that you carry forward into those sessions. And the bit that I'm talking, kind of hoping to get into a little bit more is the compassionate side of things. What are your yeah. thoughts? I, th- I mean, partic- I think in, in any space, whether it's social impact or not, um, the as a design researcher, and this is my personal philosophy, not everybody has yeah. to subscribe to it, but as a design researcher and as as somebody who's practicing human-centered design, I've signed up to be the advocate for mm. the stakeholders who aren't in the room. Um, that's that's what my job is. That's why I go out and conduct any kind of research uh, is 
is to bring people who are not in the room into the conversation uh, hmm. and to elevate the voices of um, the folks that for one reason or another, um, the people who are making decisions aren't accessing. Um, and that is something that I think as a teacher, hmm. it's like, it is your job hmm. and to support them. Um, it isn't about, uh, it isn't about metrics. It isn't about profit. It isn't about, you know, all of the things that I, I think are easy to get caught up in, um, when you are presented with a room full of students, uh, like all the other stuff falls away. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and if it doesn't, the students will sure let you know that you have other mm. priorities. Right. Um, and so as a researcher, <laughs> like you just, you're responsible for maintaining that sense of care and that, mm. um, I don't know, first things first mindset yeah. that I think just got drilled into me day after day by being with your students. Yeah. Some of my friends were teachers. I know they're incredibly patient people and they'd be able to um, just repeat themselves and trying to find that position that the student can understand. What I'm trying to get to is in the next level of thinking of it's just more like a job and this is more of a, you're bringing the person along on the journey and you want to create a space that is safe for them to grow and nurture. I don't know how to articulate it into a question, Renee, at the moment. So I was speaking yesterday with Rachel Dykus, who I know has done some work with Greater Good Studio. And we spoke about the level of care that should, in theory, be carried into every research session, especially when you look through a trauma-informed lens, okay? Um, what I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on is, and I, could, I can tell already from speaking with you that you're, you're probably a very talented teacher, okay? You... You speak about things that, you know, I would have liked to have been taught maths from from you, for instance, because I, <laughs> I know that you probably break things down into into easier ways to understand some complex situations. But going back to the care piece, I'm I'm really interested to see what level of care you feel a good design researcher should possess, and what are those things? If you've got any sort of anecdotal stories, I'd love to hear them. Absolutely. Uh... I feel like every research session that I have been in is an anecdote about care. Um, mm. It's, it you know, even, even outside of social sector, like really and truly um, what I, what I'm doing, what I've created the environment to do uh, when I'm facilitating sessions is I've created an environment where people can tell me about the best and worst things related mm. to the topic we're talking about. Um, and, you know, in my, in my past research life, that might've been related to finance, you know, and in my current life that might be related to health or education. Um, but they're still talking about the best and worst. And that means a few things, right? That means that, like you said, I'm, I'm creating safety so mm. that people can, share the things that 
represent those highs and lows and so that they can communicate with me about them because I don't know what they are. Like, that's why I showed up. And I'm hmm. frequently putting people in a position where they have to speak with confidence and the the knowledge that they are expert in something that I am showing up naive about. Hmm. Um, if I already knew, I wouldn't be asking you, right? So they have to be teaching me. Um, and that's an enormous amount of responsibility to put somebody in. Yeah. Um, a project that I was working on fairly recently uh, was, was actually a really hard project. Um, we were working to develop uh, communication tools for cancer diagnosis. Uh, and the cancers that we were working on specifically uh, were typically found late stage. And mm. as a design researcher, you do primary research. You talk to people who are in those situations. Mm. So we conducted research sessions and asked people to talk to us about being diagnosed with late stage cancer. Mm. And we talked to their caregivers and family members, and they told us about what that was like. And those conversations were absolutely incredible and mm. challenging. Um, and it required us as researchers to, to have a sense of, I feel like our duty of care there was, was not simply to care about the person or to mm. care about the data or to care about the project. A lot of times when we're writing these discussion guides, protocols, facilitation guides, whatever you want to call them, mm. it's like, man, I want to, I want this person to leave this session feeling really good and excited about the project. Well, that's not an appropriate goal. That's not abs that's absolutely not an appropriate goal for the conversation that I just had where somebody talked me through. Yeah potentially one of the worst experiences that many of us will ever face, yeah. right? Um, what I have to do is I have to set a different goal. I have to look at what my commitment is to this person and to the story that they told me, and I have to communicate that commitment to them so that this engagement was meaningful to that person that I'm talking to and so that they feel that their action, that what they've shared with me, that what they've taught me um, is meaningful and will make a difference. Um, and then I actually have to deliver on it because that's the other part of the duty of care, right? Hmm. Is It's not just about creating somebody's perception. That's important. Right. I can't just go and make a difference and leave everybody that I talked to or worked with like feeling crummy in the wake of our conversation, feeling hurt, feeling wounded, feeling used, because that's not it either. Like both sides of that matter, how they feel throughout the process, their understanding of what it is that we're doing, their, their, the way that we're connecting throughout it, all of that matters. And then I have to go and take that and deliver and be yeah. that, that person in the room who's communicating and creating and, and absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and those kind of conversations that you're having there, which are requiring people to be vulnerable and open, um, they, they take, they can take their toll on the design researcher as well. 
or the researcher or whatever you want to call them, you know, the skills that you learned whilst uh, training to be a teacher, it sounds like there's some fun foundational things that exist within that world that don't exist in design education world. So I, I'm seeing a crossover here in terms of like you would be better supported from your grounding in teaching than you would if you'd have been elevated through design research where you might have learned how to more focus on prototyping or ideation or whatever it is that happens in design school these days. But they don't have the psychological or the, um, you know, the, the foundations that you had whilst training to become a teacher. Am I right in saying that? Is that something that you, you lean on a little bit more, you know, being aware of those situations when you're teaching and then that crossover when you're being more aware as a design researcher? Does that set you up for success? I absolutely think so. I mean, I, mm. so I, I got to see both sides of the coin. Like I did go to design school and I got all of the okay. classes in prototyping and all of that. Um, but we didn't spend a ton of time talking about uh, no. the, the sort of capacities that you have to build in yourself as a design researcher. Um, it's really scary. Because it is, it is. Yeah. I, and you don't know what type of conversations you're getting into. I brought up, like I've done work in finance before, right? You yeah. expect those conversations to be very dry. Sometimes they're not. I've, no. I was, I remember specifically a conversation with someone where we were talking about uh, like benefits selection, voluntary benefit selection for independent contractors, very narrow focus. And uh, it was generally those conversations were what you would expect. And one conversation that I got into with somebody ended in just this very like deep interrogation of I'm worried about my financial health and I'm dependent upon my partner. And it makes me feel like I'm not living in line with my values. Mm -hmm. And you, so you can't just say, well, this is this is something that only social sector designers have to worry about. Yeah, All well, design researchers have to worry about that. Absolutely. For the finance sector, a lot of the research that I've done in that space, money is about control and uh, power and structures like that. So um, I've had people um, become quite upset in research sessions whilst conducting research in that space. So you're right. But I guess... Looking at you as a whole and um, you as uh, uh, as you've got two or three different degrees or experience in those in those spaces, if you were to redesign um, or design a course that was fundamental to design research, okay, so it was focused on design research, what would the what would you take from both worlds and and, and build this super course? What would that look like? Oof. I I think pedagogy is critical. Um, mm. so pedagogy being the, the, you know, art or science of, of how you teach people and how they learn. Um, yeah. I would love for designers. See, yeah. For designers, Absolutely. because you are, I mean, communicating with participants, communicating with your team, communicating with clients, like it's absolutely critical. It's huge. Um, I, I also think that an understanding of psychology, um, is, I draw on that a lot. Um, yeah. And I have throughout my practice. 
you also referenced um, this idea of the effect of research on the researcher, uh, yeah, the, the way that, yeah, the impact. Um, I, you know, I feel like researchers ought to be in therapy. Like this is, there's, there's, this, there's, if you're not aware of those impacts and if, if you're not prepared to be aware of those impacts, which is something I think our educations can help us to do, mm -hmm. then you are likely to walk into a research session and you're more likely to do harm. Absolutely. Um, because you're not, you're not aware of everything that's going on inside you. Yeah. You can't be fully present for the person that you've asked to show up for you. Yeah. Um, so I feel like all of those things, there are a lot of things that, that the practice of teaching will do for you. Like if anything's going to teach you to not be attached to your work, it is the critique of yeah. a 30, like 35 hungry 14 year olds. Yeah. They will, they will short attention spans. your ego. Oh my God. Yeah. They do not care. Um, you know, where they're yeah. like, oh, this critique isn't personal. It's about your work. 14 year olds, that critique is personal. Yeah. Um, they go for you. Yeah. But that I feel like mm, uh, <laughs> maybe slightly lower in priority than those other things. Yeah. Well, look, there's lots we can speak about um, and continue to speak about, but we're, we're coming towards the end of the episode. Um, Renee, it's been it's been fantastic speaking with you and, and learning more around, as you said, the inter intersectionality between teaching and design research. Um I've really enjoyed speaking with you, but if people want to reach out and connect with you, um, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, best way uh, to do that is uh, probably Twitter or email. Uh, email, I'm Renee, uh, R-E-N-E-E -E at greatergoodstudio.com. Nice. Um, and You're on LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Renee Albrecht Mallinger. I'm the only one. Yeah, uh, I saw that when I googled you earlier on. I was like, yes, oh, definitely. My name Renee. is <laughs> SEO proof. You will find like the other four members of my immediate family, but that's it. Ah, very good. Uh, well, look, I'll throw a link to those in, in the show notes. Renee, thank you so much for your time. It's great speaking with you. Wonderful to speak to you. Thank you so much, Jerry. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.